0: Prince Andrei woke up fairly late for a very big day, for it's not often one is presented before the final Holy Roman Emperor in the one millennia or so run of that Christian and Central European power. Andrei was dressed in what's called his parade uniform. Ceremonial uniforms remain popular today in both military and law enforcement units on a more local level. There were reports that Russian soldiers had modern equivalents when invading Ukraine in February of 2022, and they expected to wear them after a couple days and march through Kyiv. While these soldiers did bring mayhem and destruction, they didn't get to use those uniforms. Back to the story. Andrei's arm was also in a sling, as he did suffer a grazing from a bullet. As the prince entered Beliebin's study... His friend and four fellow diplomats were engaged in friendly banter. This clique was composed of young, wealthy nobles who were diplomats, with Belieben as their de facto leader. They even had their own nickname, Les Notres, which from French translates to Our People. Overall, this group was much more interested in vain pursuits and society life than public service through diplomacy. They were thrilled to temporarily welcome André into their fold. Included among this group was Hippolyte Kuragin. While they were joking around with one another, Hippolyte quickly became the butt. With a whisper, Belibin relays to André, sarcastically, that Hippolyte is quite exquisite when discussing politics, and you should see his gravity. In French or Français, it sounds better. Tu voir ce gravité, And when Hippolyte picks up a cue that he's being talked about, he feels compelled to make a little speech referencing the possibility of Prussia entering into the conflict. This was the second time in the book that he tried to speak in front of a group, and the second time he failed. He stammered and mumbled, creating quite the word salad. Belieben then takes the opportunity to label Hippolyte, the famous Athenian orator, Demosthenes. He says, Demosthenes, I know thee by thy pebble, which thou secretest in thy golden mouth. Here Tolstoy reveals some of his own appreciation for classical figures, as Demosthenes was said to put small pebbles in his mouth to help cover up or correct some type of speech issue that he had. And while Hippolyte is not the type that would be quoted for generations after he lived, Demosthenes was known for a few good ones, such as, A man is his easiest dupe, for what he wishes to be true is generally what he believes to be true. And also, close alliances with despots are never safe for free states. Beliebin's quip led to uproarious laughter, and Hippolyte laughed the loudest, even though he didn't entirely get the joke. He was made to feel uncomfortable and somewhat small, but covered it up with the laughter. Belieben then expresses how much he wants to entertain Andrei and Brun, which he describes as a beastly Moravian hole. For a bit of context, Moravia is a historical region now in the Czech Republic, one of three historical Czech lands along with Bohemia and Czech Silesia. And Brun, or Berno, was a medieval city that was part of the Bohemian crown from 1348 to 1918 and Holy Roman Empire, or Heligas Romisches Reich, from roughly the year 1000 AD. However, Andre quickly quashes the notion of hanging out with Les Nôtres, this little group of theirs, as he must be off to the royal reception. Belieben understands and advises to do as much talking as possible, given that audiences are King Francis' passion, though he doesn't much like speaking himself. So before the next chapter where Andre goes off to meet Francis II, let's take the quickest of looks at the dying dynasty he represents and Tolstoy portrays. The Holy Roman Empire's legacy is undergoing quite the re-examination For hundreds of years since the rise of nation-states, roughly from 1765 on, a number of notable minds from the Enlightenment have been quite critical of that approach to government. It was Voltaire who wrote in his 1756 work, An Essay on Universal History, the Manners and Spirit of Nations, that the Holy Roman Empire was not in any way holy, Roman, nor an empire. Nevertheless, the view from within the empire was that it was holy, or heligas in German, which was the common tongue throughout the empire, in that it tried to provide an overall spiritual authority that was very often independent of the pope. At times, the holy component meant that there was a divine mission to try to unite the world under Christianity, and on other occasions it could be more specific such as protecting those making pilgrimages, as well as protecting missionaries who are trying to spread the gospel. And the term Roman could be very confusing, as when we're asked to think of Rome now, there are so many aspects to pull from, from the republic, the empire, the legal system, the imperial design, the idea of spreading civilization. But within the Holy Roman Empire... They were speaking to the period after, 380 AD, where Christianity was made the official religion through the Edict of Thessalonia. Rome was and remains a power center of Christianity. When we think of Rome today, we think going to visit the Vatican. But that sits side by side with the Colosseum and many other symbols and lessons of the past which mix together and combine to give us an image or vision of what Rome is and the Holy Roman Empire was influenced by pre-Christian Rome. They adopted a good deal of the well-recorded legal system of Rome, which were mixed in everyday life with various German customs. Governmental structure was often patterned on that set out by Augustus. Levels of bureaucracy of ancient Rome served as models. There is quite the intriguing irony of Germanic barbarians receiving credit for the downfall and invasion of the last vestiges of the Roman Empire, only to have created, in a couple hundred years, a Germanic state which claimed to be the successor to Rome. And the empire component is also intriguing, as the HRE controlled lands of a wide array of ethnicities and left a lot of local control. This type of balance was struck, Whereby, looking back now, the empire, so to speak, was able to last for a millennia. From the Middle Ages, through the Renaissance and Reformation, through the Enlightenment, and up until Napoleon Bonaparte. Will nation-states be able to do that? We're over 150 years from when Tolstoy wrote War and Peace. And his depiction of the Holy Roman Empire as dysfunctional, weak, and on the decline is obviously quite true, and in line with the times, especially when considering many of the historical losses depicted in this book. But overall, given the length of time that it endured, it was truly a much more successful and even harmonious governmental system than often given credit for.